Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. So today, Karen and I are so pleased to be chatting to Dr. Caroline Logan. Dr. Logan is a consultant forensic clinical psychologist in the NHS and an honorary research fellow at the University of Manchester. She's co-author of the Department of Health's Guidelines in Managing Risk within the Mental Health Services and a researcher in the areas of personality disorder, psychopathy and risk. And she's published two books and many articles in these areas. Now, Caroline also trains psychologists and psychiatrists in exactly how to make robust and accurate personality disorder diagnoses. So she really is the perfect person to be talking to about all things narcissistic. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on, Caroline. It's my pleasure. Violence and narcissists. Obviously, some narcissists can be violent. All narcissists, Mm -hmm. I think, have that kind of underlying psychological kind of abusiveness. Um, But are Mm -hmm. psychopaths generally more violent than narcissists? Well, the, the, the psychopathic individual generally more extremely disordered so yes um it's uh, not at all uncommon for me to see violence or well, my subject matter is probably rather um, narrow i tend to see people who are violent and i question their personalities and often see traits and um, of psychopathy and characteristics that make me think psych- psychopathy is predominantly present and a factor in the explanation here Mm-hmm. With individuals who are narcissistic, mm-hmm. it's about the extent to which they are enraged by whatever it is, whatever di- act of disrespect. Now, this comes back to something that you touched on fleetingly, but mm-hmm. said we would come back to, which is gender. Yes. And this is borne out in the literature. We may be more inclined to see violence or externalized feelings, aggression, mm-hmm. amongst people who identify as male. Mm-hmm and more um, sort of internalised, different expressions of harm against women. So we tend to see 
self-harm more often amongst those who identify as women and violence amongst those violence towards others amongst those who identify as male internal externalizing very broadly i see gender as a spectrum um so very very broadly i'm, I'm painting it as a little bit more black and white than it really is on the whole i would expect to see less physical violence amongst those who identify towards the female end of the spectrum I, I would see more relational aggression. We talked earlier about, uh, I was walking the, along the corridor and you ignored me, right? So I went away and said really bitchy things about you. So that's a form of relational aggression. So I've not turned around and smacked you in the head or punched you or something or stabbed you. What I've done is try to impair the relationships you have with other people. So I, I try to diminish you by bitching about you, basically. In literature and gender differences, certainly in narcissistic personality disorder and, and psychopathies, is not great. I mean, the whole diagnostic system for narcissistic, you know, all the diagnostic criteria for narcissistic personality disorder and all the diagnostic criteria within the Hare Psychopathy Checklist were developed from men. No women, no women were involved in the early research that Bob Hare did on the psychopathy checklist or in the early work on narcissistic PD. It was all done on men, behaviour of men. And then it was applied to women as if women are just funny-shaped men. And they're not. And what these diagnostic criteria do in, both, in relation to both of the conditions is characterise women or only look for the characteristics of women that they see that are seen also in men and overlook the more subtle things that those at the, the female end of the spectrum are more inclined to engage in but interviewing is a, a big thing for me professionally i've written about it and i pay a lot of attention to how i interview people and I, you know how i teach my colleagues to interview people to get to get them to tell you things the will be able to tell you later that it wasn't in their interest that they told you give themselves away either explicitly and tell you things or um, implicitly there's topics they don't want to talk about and how they guard themselves um, as much as what they yeah. don't say is what yeah, they yeah, do yeah. say mm. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah what they skip over what they you know having been very very mobile in the discussion about something non-threatening and then they, they close down, become guarded, their hands are folded maybe in their pockets when they're talking about something that they don't want to talk about, for example. When I think about the, uh, the interviews that I've done in my professional career that have been with, um, you know, that have been difficult, my dog's dinner interviews, they have mostly been with women because I find um, interviewing women much more challenging because women are just so much better at, at, at pulling the wool over your eyes yeah and again yeah. that's you know that's an issue in the courts isn't it i mean i think that it seems to me that the the, the female people who might qualify for a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder seem to get away with it a lot more than the men yeah. because they're just yeah. so much harder to spot as you've said and there's no easy solution to it there's no answer i can give you that will say well if you do this you'll spot them this litmus test and that kind of brings me on to my next question, which is about getting a diagnosis. We've discussed this at length already, but a lot of people ask me this question, you know, if I suspect that my former spouse is a narcissist and they're 
making all sorts of, you know, they're creating havoc um, in the in the system it, through the divorce and regarding the children and they're lying about their finances. And I, I think that, that this person might have NPD. How do I get them diagnosed? Is it possible? What, what, do you, what would you say about that? When we spoke about it before, I said that it was a, a real challenge. Um, number one, I think that while there are people out there who will do this work, um, just exactly as you said, there's quite a lot of variation in the quality of the work that will be produced. And of course, they're going to have to pay for it. So there are cost implications as well. Yeah. And it's thousands, isn't it? Yeah. And, and if, if, if there was one spouse saying, I think that the other person is personality disordered or has personality problems that are relevant to the reason why we're before the family courts and arguing over custody of the children, then mm-hmm. goodness me, if anything was going to be inflammatory to a relationship, it's going to be an accusation of that sort of nature. And then some mm-hmm. hapless sap like me comes along and attempts to assess that individual's personality um, because the court supports it, then um, I'm going to be up against it, just trying to get the person to talk to me, to let me mm-hmm. access some of that inner experience of theirs and have a bit of a rummage. Um, and what they're most likely to do is retaliate and say, well, she's the one or he's the one with all the problems, and it will be a tit for tat. Exactly. And then it will be flash of the expert witnesses and then the poor old judge sitting there in the middle thinking who do I believe yeah yeah I think and what we spoke about before was about judges trying to help themselves out in these horrible situations that you know I've been and I know my colleagues get into expert witness types get into is for uh, judges to to say why does this matter to me Mm -hmm. and I think asking um, if there are experts involved why does it matter that this person might have a diagnosis of X or Y. Why should it matter to the, these proceedings? Mm-hmm. Just because somebody's got a diagnosis doesn't mean to say that they are necessarily a bad parent. Well, I mean, with narcissistic individuals, if they're mm-hmm. they're self-focused and they have a sort of two-dimensional view yeah, of other people yeah. and they're concentrating really on getting their own needs met at the expense of other people, then obviously that's suboptimal parenting. But what if that parent, what if that same parent recognised, let's say, that their child had an amazing voice or had an amazing musical gift? And let's say for the parents' own purposes, they really pushed that. So that they got validation, et cetera, from it and, and attention. Indeed, indeed. So the parent is getting all the glory. But actually, what they're doing by virtue of the parent getting all the glory is the child being exposed to activities that they're blooming good at. They can excel at a social network that's very reinforcing and very good for them. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I wouldn't say it was a foregone conclusion that just because somebody has personality difficulties, that makes them a bad parent. I think what's more relevant, and this is the way the literature is going in the personality disorder field, that it's severity that makes the difference. And that takes us back to psychopathy, because psychopathy is, by definition, the most severe kind of personality problem a person could have. So we would look for severity indicators and, and it, I don't know that you necessarily need to have somebody like me and the expense of somebody like me to tell you that if the person can't keep a roof over their head because they're, they're spending money on getting a new nose or breast implants 
or a, a fancy car when they're got kids at home that you know are living off of food bank food mm-hmm. you probably don't need somebody like me to tell you that this person's struggling to maintain their financial commitment struggling to be a consistent parent because they're giving everybody evidence whatever they say in court of their inability to work life (laughs) but I think it's those areas that are are grayer than that you know say through the divorce the potentially narcissistic individuals been using the children as weapons of abuse against financial abuse and emotional abuse against the other parents when they have the children they ignore them you know whilst they go on their dating apps or whatever yet they're still trying to get more time with the children sort of 50 50 or or even have the children primarily in their care um so that the other parent has a much smaller amount of time and it's those cases really where they can keep a a roof over the children's head you know it's not it's not that extreme but it's still it's that manipulation and using the children as weapons of really abuse against the other parent you know you talked about you know if a relationship breaks up a narcissistic individual or indeed a psychopathic individual mm-hmm. might seek to punish that that person that's had the audacity to leave them that parent and they use anything they can um to do so yes that's right yeah and children are a wonderful they're the achilles heel aren't they and, and they're the absolute best tool as is the legal system itself um because you know you can just make applications to the court and you can drag the other parent through the court you know you can financially abuse them by writing lots of letters to the other solicitor and then their solicitor has to write lots of letters back and they're draining them of all their funds this is actually how it actually plays out in in real life in the family courts and in in the divorce and separation system so it's that really it's really interesting that you you know you've brought up all these other things that kind of affect whether a parent, a narcissistic parent, is going to be capable or not. Um, like, for example, as you said, if the child had an amazing voice and they were to use that, the benefit to the child as a byproduct, you know, it could still be good for the child. It's so many variables to take into account yeah. in terms of getting a diagnosis, and it really isn't as black and, and white as one might think. In some cases, I think clearly there's a use in getting a diagnosis. But as you say, it's about the ramifications of that diagnosis. What does this mean for the children? Their capacity for truthfulness, you know, what does this mean? Have they lied about their finances? Can they change? It's those things that matter, isn't it, really, rather than the diagnosis. And by the time you're talking about a diagnosis, this might be, I mean, all the experts you were talking about, the court system being used as an instrument of, an instrument of abuse by protracting the stress of it all leading to yeah causing delays i mean so the whole process of bringing in expert witnesses might in itself be collusive with that process and i think it takes somebody like a judge to be able to say on the basis of the evidence i've got before me you know this is my decision at this point rather than letting it run substantially further if somebody felt that they really did need to try to, to get um, their ex-spouse or their former partner a diagnosis or at least assess to see if they do have a personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder possibly, how do they go about doing that? How do they find someone who can actually make that diagnosis for the court? Because obviously it has to be quick, doesn't it, for the court and robust. Yeah. They haven't got t- two years for someone to interview them you know, every week and you know, chat with them. So <laughs> it's got to be a quick, robust diagnosis for the court. Who do they go to? How do they find someone to do that? I would be inclined to recommend that they um, go with somebody who's registered as a qualified practitioner. So somebody that they might be able to find, for example, on the HCP 
HCPC website. Uh, I think it's hcpc-uk.org. Clinical psychologists and forensic psychologists would be my suggestion because they are, like me, trained in assessments, different sorts of assessments. And if you're concerned about risk of harm, then the forensic forensic psychologists will generally be more attuned. And you could cross-reference that with the British Psychological Society's expert witness database. Because what you don't just need is somebody who is able to assess. You need somebody who's good in court, court skills training and report writing for court courses, somebody who can appreciate that the judge needs to know why this is relevant. Ah, okay. So you would want some somebody who's used to being in court as well as used to assessing. If people want to contact me, I can direct them. There's a group of um, generally forensic clinical practitioners who work in and out of the courts uh, or in services where they're expected to appear before court. So they're used to doing complicated, uh, complicated assessments of complicated people and presenting it in court. We regularly circulate cases that where expertise is required. I mean, what I worry about in my profession is people going into private work, uh, like court work, work, before they've really cut their teeth you want people who are knowledgeable and confident, somebody who's been in court before, who can hold their own and who can argue complicated things or argue about or present complicated information in a way that doesn't simplify it, oversimplify it, make it more simple than it ought to be, but they, they're able to come across well. Because that's the other thing possibly people don't realise that, you know, you get an expert witness or, you know, you get a forensic psychologist, for example, to make make this diagnosis potentially. And then, of course, that expert witness may or may not be cross-examined in court and taken to pieces um, if they're not absolutely robust. So perhaps their diagnosis can be pulled apart. That's why so many people probably don't want to do it in terms of professionals. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites, thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.